All right, so uh, we've been doing a series called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity, uh, a quest that we've had for about 46 to 49 years now. And um, some of you have joined that quest a little more recently than that. <laughs> some of you were born quite a bit more recently than that. Uh, in fact, most of you were. I, I think we only have uh, about five or six people in the church that are over 50. So, um, so us, us old guys, though, we're, we're doing okay. So uh, I will uh, talk uh, at the 1030 meeting for a minute about our trip to uh, and, Anderson, Andrews Air Force Base or Anderson, uh, Andrews Air Force Base. And back, that was um, very fruitful, and I have other news to share. All right, so um, we're looking at 15 emphases, which are flashing on the board, that um, we've assumed in, in evangelical Christianity for the last 150 or so years that we're pretty biblical on, and we're really asking ourselves, are we that biblical on these major topics? And uh, we would say that, uh, you know, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. Um, there was a survey, uh, I haven't updated this, so this goes back to the 80s. But if, as you know, Barna and Gallup are two polling organizations that study the church. And um, uh, Gallup did a survey on influential institutions, and the church came in 26th. Although, at the time, it was behind the Boy Scouts for influence, and it's probably now past the Boy Scouts due to their current troubles. So maybe, maybe we've moved up to 25th or something. Um, so the, uh, the truth of the matter is the church is supposed to be salt, light, you, leaven, we, we know all those things. So, um, you know, we, we really kind of need to do a rethink on a, a lot of things and ask ourselves, as they did in the day of Jesus. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips. Uh, in vain they worship me, teaching the teachings, the doctrines of men. And he was talking uh, especially about uh, the Pharisees, and the majority of Israelites were more loyal to the Pharisees than they were to the Sadducees. And they were quite fundamentalist in their approach to Scripture, although neither the Pharisees or the Sadducees uh, if you look at the modern contemporary Protestant Christianity, uh, for the most part, the, the liberal denominations and so forth resemble the Sadducees in a number of ways, and the conservative denominations re resemble the Pharisees in a number of ways, and neither of them like Jesus very much. So um, thus, uh, that's why we're kind of doing a rethink on a lot of things. One of the theme verses for this uh, series, I hope everyone has an outline. If you don't have an outline, we have lots more outline. Anyone not have an outline? Um, Isaiah 58, 12, I'm going to skip to the uh, second reading of it there because that's in the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible was the favorite Bible of the English Puritans and the Reformers. Uh, they didn't like the more liberal King James that much. Um those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Oh, oh wait. And they that shall be of thee, that shall, that shall build the old waste places, thou shalt raise up the foundations for many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach and the restorer of the past to dwell. The key phrase I like there is they, shall be, that, they that shall be of thee. Um, there's not any English translations that really bring out the Greek uh, quite perfectly. Because it really is implied, it's they that shall come forth from thee. It's really speaking about your, your spiritual descendants, your progeny. Uh, obviously, the, the great hope as a Christian always is that your uh, biological descendants would also become your spiritual descendants and, and walk with Christ with you. But um, so uh, we have done... Uh, about a year on the first five emphases, and I'm temporarily jumping ahead to emphasis 11. And the reason for the question mark after emphasis 11, because I don't know if that's going to be part five or whatever, because we're going to do a whole series about prayer before we get to fasting when we get here. But I wanted to share on fasting a little. 
you know, you want to try to keep an ear uh, in, in, when you're spending time with the Lord and in, in worship and Bible study to uh, what the Lord is saying to our church currently. And one of the things that is a way to do that is also keep your ear uh, at uh, what, some, what people are saying, especially some of the leadership team and so forth. And it just, uh, we went through kind of a time uh, a couple months ago where almost every leaders meet, you know, we have seven couples that, 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 that meet on uh, every other Monday night. And uh, um, uh, all of them lead our various discipleship groups. And so um, we kept hearing when we were talking about uh, different situations of people that have a difficult situation they're facing, either with, say, their children or uh, maybe with themselves or, or maybe a besetting sin they're trying to overcome, maybe uh, vocational issues or whatever. Uh, we, we, we just kept hearing, uh, why don't we fast for them? And... Um, I heard that so much over, I don't know, quite a few weeks that I really began to seek the Lord. Are you trying to call us into a season of fasting and prayer? And, you know, we've had uh, in Grace Christian Fellowship's history, we're now um, it's about 17 years that we started in, of course, at first, for the first year or so, we were just in my basement with my four teenage kids and uh, who are now all late 20s or to almost mid-30s now, um, but um, what am I uh, going for here? Uh, then I think Sydney and, uh, was the, the first uh, person who joined us that was, that's still with us, and that was about, I think I met Sydney in 2004 at a, at a Bible study that my daughter started at Sinclair, and so... Um, uh, you know, we during that history, we've had um, kind of, I don't know, every two, three years or so, we've had kind of a wave of the presence of God being kind of falling in pretty strong and great way and, and lasting a, a pretty good season and so forth. And usually that's accompanied by a lot of new people starting to attend. And then, you know, sometimes we've gone through a wave where, you know, like the wave goes back out. And, uh, and then, you know, a, a few of those will stay and become disciples of Christ and really start to grow and so forth. You know, we do uh, emphasize uh, the three delivery systems of grace, like biblical studies, uh, we, you know, all the tools we have, the four book lists, the, uh, the teachings, all the ways we try to help you learn how to get more out of your Bible. Uh, of course, the emphasis on the present ministry and activity of the Holy Spirit and then finally, the emphasis on Christian community. Uh, we never want to be just a see you on Sunday. We try to live near each other and, and uh, fellowship as much, much as a community as, as possible. And we, we deliberately do things to foster community. So with that in mind, I'm just sensing that we are, it seemed to be on the beginning of a, just another outpouring of the Spirit and so for that to happen, we have to sanctify ourselves to that. Uh, and one of the ways you can do that, among many, is uh, spend some time fasting. And fasting doesn't have to be, some people uh, are called to 21-day fast and 40-day fast and so forth. But for most people, I just recommend you start with fasting 16 hours and build up uh, over uh, and maybe do that once every week or once every two weeks and then build up to 24 hours and eventually build up to 30 hours. I, in fact, I suggest that you don't fast more than about 30 hours until you start reading some books on fasting and you've successfully fasted 30 hours with with extra time, uh, spending some extra time. You know, if you, if you at least spend your meal prep and meal uh, eating time uh, with extra time with God, you'll end up with a lot more time with the Lord than you often do. And so uh, let's get into this uh, teaching. 
that was kind of Roman numeral one. I'm going to skip to the end, and I'm going to look at Roman numeral four, recommended reading on fasting. Um, so I have there, these are books, uh, there's actually six books listed here, because I uh, put uh, two by Derek Prince under, under point A. Um, but these, the, the, the ones through A through E, are primarily Christian-based uh, um, how, how to fast for spiritual reasons kind of thing. And um, they're not in any particular order. I'm currently reading the last one, A Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer by John Piper, and I'm loving it. Uh, it's, it's really kind of scratching an itch for me. Because he has such an emphasis on uh, how the things of this world and, and uh, things that God gave that are good, God's good gifts, can distract us in such a way that, that uh, the passion for God in our heart is not only um, not made time for, you know, uh, we don't make, make as much time as we might, but also the passion for God kind of goes cold. And as if you've been married uh, at all, or uh, you, you know that you can be more in love or you can be less in love. You can be more passionate. You can be less passionate. And lo- love is something that's, that's not just feelings. It's a decision. It's a covenant. It's uh, certain commitments. It's attitudes and motivations. But it is something you definitely need to pursue. Uh, love doesn't just happen. Uh, an attraction happens, sometimes just happens when you're, you know, getting ready to court a young lady or vice versa. But uh, love is something you have to build, and you have to build it wisely. So um, I don't think I want to go into all of those uh, books in any detail. Notice on, on, up near, near the bold print where it says recommended reading on fasting, I have for health issues on longer fasts. Don Colbert, I didn't have room for doctor. Both those guys really have doctor in front of their names, but I would have gone off the line. I'd want to lose another line. But uh, uh, Don Colbert is a well-known Christian authority on fasting who who uh, covers it from both a medical and a spiritual point of view and has... More books, he's one of those kind of guys that writes a new book like every four days or something. Uh, You know, uh, he has more books than you uh, care to know, or that I care to know anyway. Um, And he has a lot of audio things that you can listen to. I've often uh, uh, ironically listened to uh, Don Colbert's books on fasting while I'm riding my exercise bike or or, uh, lifting weights. They don't go hand in hand that well, but. Um, Pavo Arola is not a Christian source. He's Finnish. He's from Finland. Um, I think he's still alive. And he's also a guy with about 100 books. Uh, Specifically, I'm going to give you a book title. I didn't have room for it. Uh, I think it's called How to Keep Slim, something that's up through juice fasting. The key is that on the cover, there's a number of editions and different looking covers, but it'll say juice fasting. And if you have any kind of health issues that prohibit you, uh, like if you're hypoglycemic, if you're diabetic or whatever, uh, you might want to learn about juice fasting where you drink about eight ounces of fruit juice every day um, and you drink this uh, awful stuff called vegetable broth and uh, uh, you throw a ton of different kinds of vegetables into a pot with a bunch of purified water, you boil it for a half hour or something, and uh, then you pour the vegetable, you know, pour it through a strainer and save the save the broth, and uh, give Logan the vegetables. Uh, so last time Logan requested them. Where, where, where is Logan? Oh, first weekend not at the Weisses, and he's already already missing night. No, he's probably in the kitchen cooking, knowing Logan. He's probably our one of our better chefs, I think. Um, we're breaking some molds. We, you know, our three best chefs in the church are all men. That's interesting. Um, 
So, uh, where, so, here, so let's get back to Roman number two. So let's go through four key passages, passages on fasting and kind of a summary statement here. Pro, proper motives and execution lead to godly breakthrough and rewards. You know, to not use fasting uh, as part of your Christian life is uh, a little bit like, um, as, as you know, in the 1990s, I was a sales trainer. And, um, you know, uh, we sold a very high-pressure, fast kind of, we sold financing. And um, uh, it was very lucrative. We, you know, we, uh, if you didn't make six figures, you probably weren't trying hard enough. And so um, uh, I, I used to uh, talk to the guys all the time about uh, there were certain guys who they were out of there at 10 minutes to five, uh, no matter what was happening. But it was the, it was the kind of sales that had um, seven steps to it. And one of the steps was overnighting paperwork. And another was is getting the paperwork back. And then after that, there was getting the deal funded. And so um, you could quite possibly save a day in, in, or two in terms of when it funded by staying 10 more minutes and getting some paperwork out or, or uh, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And I always used to say, don't leave money on the table. Uh, so it, really not using fasting is a bit like leaving money on the table, translate money into the presence of God, the purposes of God, the, the blessings of God, and so forth. To not use fasting is a little, would be a little bit like Nathan Hager going to work with, uh, and he left his seven favorite tools home. You know, uh, I used to remodel houses for a living in the, let's see, was it the 70s? Yeah, uh, well, the last last year or so of the 70s and the first couple of years of the 80s. And... Um, there's nothing more important in most kinds of work than the right tools. And uh, one of the things I always notice, I, I, watched, I, I went through this process. I watched Nathan, Nathan go through this uh, some years ago when he first got into heating and air conditioning and uh, where um, you know, he went from using his dad's tools to buying more and more tools. And then there's always that battle, like how much of my budget should I buy more tools with? Because you know you're spending a little bit more money than you probably should. But then again, you know, tools save time to make the job better, et cetera. And, uh, you know, you know you're, you're way over the top if you like showing off your tools. Like, look at my new, you know, uh, whatever, jigsaw or whatever. And... Uh, you know, and uh, you take some pride in your tools being nifty and so forth. Uh, but tools are important. And fasting is a tool God has given us. And you're a fool to leave that tool in the drawer. Uh, you, you, you are, you're kind of robbing yourself of things that God intends to, to give you. Remember Jesus in John 10.10 10 said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And he really does want to bless you. First and foremost, he wants to bless you, which is a lifelong process with uh, being able to have more and more of the blessings of God, but more and more keep the nearness of him and the love of him and intimacy with him as the true blessing in your heart. You know, there's a verse in Revelation that says he comes quickly and his reward is with him. I always say his reward is with him because his reward is him. Uh, so, um, you, know, you know, life in some ways is a maze, or you might say a war, uh, that's trying to steal the love of God from us. And uh, so, and uh, there, it is, as you know, when you first come to Christ, you're getting rid of, you know, uh, for some of us, alcohol, drugs, gambling, what, uh, you know, uh, stealing cars, uh, <laughs> whatever it is that God is cleaning up in our life, uh, uh, pornography, addiction, uh, you know, whatever. 
uh, being a compulsive liar. Uh, you know, I, I was a cheater in school. I got good grades because I cheated. And uh, so I had to learn how to get good grades without cheating. Quite a transition. But uh, <laughs> so uh, you're, you're getting rid of some of the bad stuff at first. But then as time goes on, uh, what it really gets down to is as you grow in the Lord, you're choosing between good and better and best. You, you really are. And you're, you're, you're looking at all of God's gifts that, that you can freely use, uh, and you're, you're wondering how much time should I allot to this or that uh, so that I, I don't interrupt my pursuit of God, right? So, I, I mean, you probably, if you've been a Christian more than a year or so, which the uh, majority of people in this room probably have, I'm sure there's some new Christians here, but um, you, you're kind of at that point most likely. So, um, anyway, uh, the rewards of fasting we're going to go over uh, further down in this teaching in just a minute. So let's look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. As you know, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and it's been considered by uh, probably the majority of Christians through the majority of the centuries to be kind of the starting point or foundational teaching of where you look at to say, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And so, and it breaks down into some major sections. And the major section of Matthew 6, verse 1, through Matthew uh, 6, 18, he deals with the subject of the fear of man, or on the other side, reverse negative, uh, the, the boastful pride of life. Living, living for what people think of you. One of the greatest bondages that all fallen people have and what God is wanting to bring you out, he, uh, often uh, you will see this issue starting to be addressed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it'll start to bother you in your heart how much you care about what people think of you. And as you grow in Christ, you'll be set free from caring about what people think of you. Uh, not, to, not to make myself out to be more than a nerd than you know I already am, but I remember one time when my wife and I were courting, uh, skipping down the street in the campus ministry neighborhood. So there were probably 50 people who lived on this street that knew us. And I, I decided to skip down the street while holding my wife's hand. And uh, <laughs> do you remember that? And I said, isn't it great not to be cool anymore? Uh, it, really, it really is. <laughs> um, cool is uh, pretty sad place to be. Um, so Jesus says, when you fast, do not look upon, look sullen or gloomy uh, like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that people will see them fasting. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others when you are fasting, but only to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the Geneva Bible, uh, the Revised Geneva Bible, the King James, the New King James, Young's Literal, and several other o older translations add the word only, uh, uh, or openly, I mean. He'll reward you openly as, as a contrast to secret. So you seek him in secret, and he'll reward you openly. And of course, it would never be the Bible's motivation uh, to, to, to define openly as so that other people will notice because you really need, shouldn't care about that. And God will help us. You know, we always are working on that. But, um, but openly in the sense of, in fact, one, uh, I forget now which translation, translates it manifestly. And I think manifestly is actually, I, I didn't look up the Greek word, but my guess is if I studied it out, that would probably be a, the best word. Because, um, you know, sometimes when God answers prayer, we actually don't notice. One of the things I'm always trying to work on and always trying to keep, uh, uh, encourage the people who pray a lot in our church and in the group prayer meetings, make some notes about what God prayed and look for the answers. Because... Often God answers them, and we forget we prayed that six months ago. You know, 
uh, mo most people in this room, uh, there was a group of people praying for you as you got started going forward in Christ. And uh, you're partly here in, in some measure to, uh, to the fact that God answers prayer. So that's the New English translation, by the way, which is my favorite uh, dynamic equivalence, uh, way better than the NIV, of course. Um, so a couple key things here. Uh, when you fast is not if you fast. The, Jesus is, is assuming he, he gives three things that he talks about in the 18 verses that he's addressing doing things for the motivation of being noticed by men. One is prayer. One is giving alms or, or giving, and the other is fasting. And in every case, he uses when because he assumes all Christians do that. And I would say we probably have come to the place in contemporary Christianity, may, uh, maybe as, as going back as much as 50 years now, where there's probably plenty of Christians who don't fast uh, ever or at least very seldom. So uh, in the Old Testament, the minimum uh, fasting was the Day of Atonement called Yom Kippur. Uh, I'm not pronouncing it right, Yom Kippur. I know, that's bad. Anyway, uh, it, uh, it, it was one day a year. And there's tremendous fasting or for tremendous blessings for fasting one day. You don't have to do a 40-day fast to have some uh, decided breakthroughs in the things of God. All right, so um, obviously the thing about your father in secret uh, and rewarding you openly, we've commented on. So when, not if, uh, proper motivations. Uh, honor God, don't fear man. And they are antithetical. You know, you, you, know, you can't have ice that doesn't melt if you're going to have a room, it, the ice in a cup in a 70-degree room. Some things are antithetical. They cannot exist together. You cannot fear man while you're fearing God. You cannot, when you, whoever you fear, you're actually, uh, is a type of worship and a type of honoring. And again, it's part of the sin that entered into the human race when Adam and Eve uh, fell that all people struggle with the fear of other people's opinions. Everyone. And there is no Christian on this planet that's an entirely sanctified in, in that. Uh, and as you know, uh, based on Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, which you might want to write down and look up, when it's talking about drawing near to the throne of grace, the, the performance-based approach to Christianity that's so popular today when you address something like, I uh, am, am bound up by what people think of me, uh, you try to make a decision, I'm not going to care about what people think of me anymore. But that doesn't work, and that's not a grace-based approach. When, you, when God puts his conviction by the Holy Spirit, by the scriptures, uh, maybe by a fellow brother or sister pointing something out to you, the first thing you do is admit it fully before God. That's what the word confess actually means. It means to say the same thing God says. Hamalegeo, homogenized milk, the, the one, one or the same. Milk that doesn't separate, it stays the same. And lagos, the word. To say the same word that God says about it is confession. No longer blame shifting, no longer rationalizing, no longer pretending it's not an issue. So when, you can, when God brings conviction, the first step is confession. The second step is pray for grace. Because you cannot bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance unless God recreates your heart. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Uh, so the first thing you do is you say, Lord, I'm powerless to change this thing of being uh, totally... I'm in total bondage to what people think. And uh, if you start there, God, God will uh, work in your life 
Uh, there are, will be some areas occasionally, especially at the beginning of your Christian life, where you'll get an amazing amount of uh, victory quite quickly. Other areas are a lifelong journey. The fear of man is, is a lifelong journey, but there really are measures of freedom. And there's nothing more liberating, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, 1 Corinthians 3.17. There's nothing more freeing, more liberating, more enjoyable than not caring what people think. So, um, lastly under this, the, the idea when Jesus talks about rewarding, um, you know, I remember for, for many years I was kind of like, we, are, we sometimes try to be holy, you know, like Ecclesiastes actually tells us, why don't be exceedingly righteous? Why should you worry? Why should you ruin yourself? And one of the great temptations is to be a kind of righteous that's really not uh, Christ-like. That's a kind of um, taking things a little too far, in a sense. You can't take loving God too far, but you can take you can have an unbiblical kind of of righteousness and holiness. And um, you know. Um, True holiness is to be more and more Christ-like. But, you know, I, I actually went through this for years. I went through this problem where I was always trying to uh, uh, just forget about all the passages in the Bible about rewards. Like, I would be like, I'm not in it for the rewards, you know. Uh, for me, of course, because a lot of you know my testimony and how I came to Christ. Uh, I'm very much always in it for seeing people come to Christ and, and so forth. And then, of course... Uh, took a while for me to realize that he's the true reward. So I was like, well, if I just have more of the Lord, I'll be happy with that. But rewards is actually a major theme of both Jesus and Paul's writings. So that's interesting. Uh, something you might, you might want to consider. Uh, second passage on, on, um, that we're going to look at, I'm going to move along here. Psalm thirty-five, thirteen. Uh, but as for me, when when they were sick, my my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my uh, bosom. Now I forget which is which, but the New American Standard, one of them says uh, humbled, and the other says I afflicted my soul. And the Hebrew word there is I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew words. Anna, it means to afflict, to oppress, to humble. Uh, to bring low, to beat down. Fasting is actually kind of a way you beat the crud out of your soul in a good, in a good way. Because one of the things, if you've walked with God more than two, three or four minutes, you begin to realize is your sin, self, nature, soul life is a tyrant. And it wants to eat when it wants to eat, sleep when it wants to sleep, say what it wants to say with, uh, with not slowing down to ask if this is an appropriate or wise thing to say. It, you know, the creed of the flesh is no one tells me what to do. Do your own thing. That was a popular bumper sticker in the 70s and the 80s. I might still be, I don't know. We are, we are a culture that is saying no one's going to tell me what to do. I do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with who I want to do it. And that nothing's going to hinder that. The problem is that the Bible defines that as the worst kind of slavery. Because that inevitably makes you a slave to your passions, fears, selfish ambitions, jealousies, and all sorts of the lowest basis uh, motivations and attitudes. And that's what Christ came to set us free from. So um, Paul uses the analogy of boxing in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26 when he says, I, I buffet my body. Uh, I used to have a friend named Louis Sabera, and uh, as you know, I didn't get to be so chunky without a lot of work. And uh, we used to go to this pizza buffet, and we would eat until they surrendered. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like... 
I, I would always joke with the waiter, just bring the title deed to the restaurant and <laughs> sign it over to us and we'll stop. But, uh, you know, um, and so we, we always interpreted, misread that verse on purpose. We thought Paul was saying, I buffet my body. But, uh, uh, you know, you can twist scripture however you like. Um, so, uh, of course, Matthew eleven twelve says, uh, the kingdom of God... Uh, suffers violence, and obviously the Bible's not endorsing violence against your brothers and sisters or your mother, just for those of you uh, who who need to hear that. Uh, But the Bible is endorsing a violence in terms of anything that's keeping you from God, and first and foremost, with yourself. You really have to kind of say, when am I going to stop doing this? I, you really have to take some extreme steps sometimes to break this, that, or the other thing. And, um, uh, uh, you know, it gets down to how much do you value God? You know, my, my wife likes to watch uh, mystery movies. And, um, you know, if you like, say, movies like Oceans 10, 11, and 12, you know, it's amazing what people will go through to get some temporary prize like money or treasure. Uh, How much more the violence we need so that the sin in our life uh, is not keeping us from God. And fasting is a way to afflict your soul. That's really the primary meaning of the Hebrew. And I think it's the ESV that uses afflict as well as many other English translations. I think the NASB says humble. Uh, and humble's not bad. Uh, the, the both are, both are in, implied in the Hebrew word. Uh, next, Isaiah 58, 12. So by the way, if you struggle with pride, uh, is there anybody that doesn't struggle with pride here? You know, isn't it the, isn't it the, uh, the daily, if, you, if there's something that you uh, were inclined to get discouraged about, it would probably be like how insidious pride is because it camouflages and hides itself in a million ways, right? And, you know, the fear of man and and all that is simply pride. And so, um, you know, it's interesting that the Bible uh, never says that God will humble us. It's, he tells us to humble ourselves. He will allow us to go through the kinds of failures that will help help us in our quest to humble ourselves if we need them. But humility is something you have to seek, and humility is the first stepping stone toward acquiring all grace. So, all right, um... Next is Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. We will not read that. I meant to ask Christiana to uh, include that in the scripture readings today, but I forgot to do that. So um, in Isaiah 58, 12, uh, if we're on point C, the bottom half of the first page, the uh, point number one under there, uh, well, let's first read read verse 3. In verse 3, uh, the, the people of Israel are crying out, why have we fasted and you do not see? Did you ever pray or fast and get less results than you intended to? Right? Anybody in that camp? Why have we fasted and it didn't work? Uh, I'm being a little liberal with the text there. Why have we humbled ourselves and God didn't take notice? So he goes on, behold, on the day of your fast, you fast for uh, selfishness and strife and so forth. So he lists seven attitudes that are improper motivations. Um, I'm, I'm really out of time, so that's sad. Because um, this is going to be another week on this teaching, I guess. Uh, I did change a few things on it this time, week. but um, Improper motivations include self-indulgence where we uh, want our creature comforts. Uh, where we're oppressive. Uh, a lot of people use being hungry as an excuse for grouchiness. 
Ever been there? In fact, I, I, one of my four kids, who I won't embarrass by naming, uh, from probably the time they were four or five until they were a late teenager, we fought a battle every day where they thought they had the right to be grouchy when they first woke up. You don't. That's just self-indulgence, and it's sin. And you can choose to be in the spirit, pleasant, and loving Christ when, when you just wake up. And in fact, you must. Uh, a proper motive is for it to be a day to make your voice heard on high. A proper motive is a day for a man to humble himself or afflict oneself in outward forms included wearing sackcloth, although Jesus tells us so that we won't be noticed by men, you know, to wash our face, look good, all that. Um, it, it, uh, number five is both a motive and it, and it has to be a result. It, it belongs on both lists. And that's to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. One of the reasons you need to be in a much better place in God is because there's no one else coming. We're in a time of unparalleled religious confusion and mediocrity in, in Christian circles uh, all over the planet. We've exported American Christianity, which has been declining steadily for about 400 years now. Uh, the last great move of God called the Great Awakening. Uh, ever since then, we've been losing ground in terms of passion in, in, the, in, the, in our Christianity, uh, accuracy, uh, right motivations, even things like seeing what the church is correctly. Most churches are not anything like a biblical Christian community. But there's no churches in the Bible that weren't that. Um, dividing our bread with the, the hungry and the poor, clothing the naked, uh, removing the yoke from your midst. Now, that's a very import, important one uh, because anytime you have any kind of performance base, you will you have, as we've talked about a million times, you'll have conflictive moding, motives going on in your, your heart all the time. One, you'll be self-righteous. Two, you'll know that you don't really measure up deep down inside, so you'll be self-condemned. And you'll be that at the same time all the time. And you'll deal with that by being harsh and critical and condemning of others. If you find yourself judging others in your heart, you know that you're not walking by grace and humility. You know, um, if you have harsh accusations, bitterness, gossip, and or if you have difficulty examining yourself. You know, uh, a lot of us really struggle with seeing ourselves correctly. What all people do to some degree. But um, I, I remember working with a guy who was... a. Uh, in a, in a sales office, and we had to travel in the same car to uh, to trade shows, so we'd be driving to say Atlanta or whatever. And I made the mistake once, and so did the, uh, the there was four of us or three of us on the trip, and we made the mistake of letting him drive. And this guy was kind of the most aggressive, mean, discourteous, uh, sob or whatever you want to say kind of driver that you'd want to see, cutting people off and. And, uh, you know, he actually once was in a, a, a traffic jam and he cut some guy off so bad the guy uh, got out and took his tire iron to the guy's car because uh, he was that mad. And uh, he, he, was, he was just a jerk. And, in fact, my boss, who was a Christian, had hired him because he had been a very successful salesman at another company my boss had owned uh, up in Bowling Green. And... Uh, but he had gotten fired time and time again because he was a jerk. I mean, the guy. Uh, but what was interesting is he literally, he literally meant it. It wasn't tongue-in-cheek. It wasn't sarcastic. At a certain point, 
after, you know, because we're three or four hours of people flashing their headlights, beeping their horns. Uh, you know, I, I, if I was counting birds, uh, we, you know, there were, you know, people flipping them off, uh, you know, driving past them fast to cut them off because they were so mad. He literally, he actually said, what's wrong with all these people? And I think he, he meant it. So it is possible to be pretty clueless in how you come across uh, in particular ways. Uh, sometimes in terms of social or social skills. Sometimes you're, you come across as intimidating uh, and you don't, don't know it or don't mean to. Uh, sometimes you come across as disinterested when in fact you're really interested. And so... Uh, Learning to have uh, use the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and your brothers and sisters to see yourself correctly is uh, absolutely essential in life. So uh, that's actually something that can be enhanced by fasting. Now, I'm running out of time, uh, so I'm going to tell us that there, there's 10 promised rewards, and they are amazing. All of them, the nine of them add up to the 10th, and we're going to maybe go back and look at the 10 next week. But the, ninth, the 10th one is what we're after as a church. Our goal is the restoration of all things, which is what the scriptures promised would precede the coming of Christ. It's amazing how many people have this modern idea uh, eschatology of things are going to get worse and worse and darker and darker and there will be a few Christians left in the corner and of course we'll be the faithful ones and uh, and every church that teaches that thinks they're going to be the remnant that's you know the 12 people that are left or whatever and uh, you know we're in uh, Jesus is going to bail us out the Bible makes it clear that there's going to be no end to the increase of his uh, government or of his peace and that it'll come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. That's Isaiah 2, 2 and Micah 4 or 5. I forget which chapter. In Micah, they, they repeat each other. They were friends. They uh, actually... Um, so, uh, fourthly, the book of Joel is a very important book for fasting um, it's about a calling a corporate fast. And we are not uh, at this time yet, maybe we will, but we, we have before. We're not calling for a specific, like, let's all fast for 40 days as a church or whatever. I am saying that we uh, need to fast for a number of things. One is humility and brokenness. Um, it's a difficult thing to be uh, deliberately being a spiritual pioneer and, and clearing off the foundations and rebuilding and restoring and realize there's a big difference between seeing a need and actually being that. Because we all actually get into deception and we think we are the things we see when in fact we're a long distance from what we're seeing and we're journeying there. Uh, and that can help us with humility but uh, we also need to pray for an increased sense of God's manifest presence. Of course, God is omnipresent. He, is more, he makes his presence known uh, more or less according to his will. And that's a stepping stone uh, for everything God wants to do. The first thing I always ask when I'm working with someone who's just coming to Christ, lots of you remember this, uh, uh, I ask them probably every two or three weeks, are you starting to sense the presence of God? Are you starting to be able to sense it in corporate worship, in private worship, when you read the Bible? Uh, are you experiencing God's presence more? Because God, more than anything else, wants to be close to you and be intimate with you. Right? Uh and, and that is the stepping stone to everything that's fruitful. There's no true fruit apart from that. There's just religion. If, you, if you're not increasing in that active, tangible, concrete, powerful flow of the presence of the Holy Spirit 
in learning to hear him, in learning to be a conduit of his power for when in ministry and so forth, it, then it's just religion. What got, you know, got, the, even, you know, uh, even uh, struggles of besetting sins. I, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong on this, and I'm sure I'm wrong on a lot of things, so I'm okay with that. But uh, I'm less concerned that you're struggling with this and that I'm more concerned with what it's causing, costing you in terms of the presence of God. As a pastor, I'm very concerned if, if some kind of lust or sinful habit or unforgiveness or, uh, or pride, pride or uh, apathy so that there's no zeal towards seeking God or spiritual disciplines. You know, some people spend so much time in useless things. It's not sinful to play video games necessarily. Some are, I'm sure. But, or watch TV. Uh, what you need to consider is what is this costing me in terms of the presence of God? You know, I, I know people all the time who are struggling with whether, uh, you know, getting into a place, like feeling the presence of God uh, you know, I'm going to go over here because this point is, is absolutely critical to us. And sensing the presence of God is an absolute starting point in the Christian life. And when you first start, you should sense the presence of God in corporate worship, in Bible study, uh, private worship, prayer, and so forth. But what God's ultimate goal for you is to live there all the time, to be ready in season, out of season, to always be filled with his manifest presence and power, to always have the anointing. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is such and such, and I could rattle them off, but I've got to save time. The ground, uh, you know, God, God, you don't grow fruit by taking it in and out of the soil. You don't, like, dig up the tree and then, you know, set it in your driveway or, or on a trailer to be carted off to plant somewhere else, and then replant it every two days. It, you'd kill it that way. What God ultimately desires is for the roots of being filled with the Spirit in, in his manifest presence to be where we live every hour of every day. And with that, we'll uh, do more next week.